You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, on my right, we've got Mr. Bobby Osinski. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. Next to him, we've got Mr. Brandon Birdside. What's up, Mike? What's up, guys? Across the table, we've got Mr. Personality, Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> gentlemen. Good to see you all. See, I knew he was going to do that. Not that you guys don't have personality, by the way. You guys have a lot of personality. Not that much. <laughs> it's just becoming a shtick, you know. I kind of dig it. Right. <laughs> and finally, all the way from Austin, Texas, the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. Hey, Rob, are you uh, are you working on like something else right now as we're doing the the Skype? Because I never know you just to do one thing. So, are you like programming or? I'm not programming. I did just return an email while you were introducing me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really important. I know. Hey, man, you are the king of multitasking. So, uh, I mean, if anybody can get it done, you can get it done. Yeah, but I'm not multitasking now. I'm with you 100% until you get a little tiresome and then I'll move on to something. <laughs> Rob is planning his uh, special uh, plan to knock over Fort Knox. <laughs> he and a couple of other uh, criminal masterminds are finishing up their finalizing plan. Look, man, if Rob ever went rogue, I, I'm, all I'm saying is that would be a dangerous thing. Join, <laughs> joining us today, we are honored and privileged to have Mr. Dennis Moody back with us. Dennis! Thank you, Mike. How are you? Hey, you know what? That last Great podcast, even though you haven't heard it yet, it's it was awesome. Life Sound. There's so much in Life Sound. We could do so much more on Life Sound. It's just... I'm just I'm just amazed at life. Get in touch. I'll come back. Enjoying this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, today we're going to talk on the on the back end of the podcast. We're going to be talking to Dennis because um, not only does he work live sound, but he also does um, studio stuff and he does drums. He's a really good drum engineer, and because of that, he's recorded. Uh, you know, Steve Gad, yes. Dave Weckl. Mm-hmm. Who else? Steve Smith, oh, Dennis Steve. Chambers, James Gadsden. <laughs> Just a few drummers. Just a few slouches. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you going to do good drummers? That's right. <laughs> we need some good ones. But, um, hey, but, you know, before we start, have you guys ever had, like, just a truly awful, horrible, horrible, bad day that just got even worse? I mean, my, my day started bad and then got worse. I mean, in all all sectors, like... Personal life and professional life and traffic and the whole thing and um, <laughs> and I had and I <laughs> I had a situation today where I had a client meeting and and have you guys ever had a client meeting that just goes just totally wrong like just you just knew it was just gonna gonna implode I had a uh, I had a meeting like that today and it was. Is this a current client or a a prospective client? It's a current client. I've done work. Uh, Essentially, okay, I'm going to be really diplomatic, so there's going to be a lot of no names that are going to be talked about. But it all came down to the client expectations when they came in to what I had prepared were eons away from what they expected. But my direction coming from a little junior client was 
<laughs> eons away from what they really wanted to the point where it was it was not even close. And so here I am sitting there and the client is there telling me basically all this stuff filled with disappointment. And you just got to sit there and take it. I mean, really, that's what you do. You got to sit there and take it. I didn't, I, I so wanted to just, you know, just yell. But really, and when you're in a situation like that, you have to take it. You have to, like, let them tell it the way it is, especially in the kind of environment that I work in. Because, you know, to a certain extent, you know, the client is always right. But what you don't want to happen is you don't want to turn this negative and make it even a worse negative because especially you have to work with these people again. And it really – it was a moment where I had to practice what I preach, you know. I really did because, you know, you get accused of certain things, of not listening and not doing this and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, I go away for so much and I come back and nothing's done. I'm like, I just found out about this project three days ago and my direction was this. But – there's just no you cannot you can't come back to them and not sound like someone who's trying to have an excuse. I mean, right? I mean, did I is that right? I mean, do you just you just basically have to sit there and and take it, right? I mean, how do you guys handle such negative interactions with clients? Have For you someone who works at the same company as you, Mike, I've been in a similar situation. <laughs> it's like there's multiple levels of the client and you're getting direction from, you know, a VP and then it goes to the the president of marketing or whatever, and they're like, "That's not what I said." And you're, you're the scapegoat. Right. The VP is going to blame it on you. You just have to sit there and take it. You know, okay, yeah, I'll fix that. Whatever you want. And it's like not your problem. It was their communication problem. It, it was just so demoralizing. I mean, I was like, when that meeting was over, I was like, "Holy smokes! I haven't had anything go that south." So you work for a company, correct? Right. Okay. And as a freelance, right, I had a guy. Bring me a project to mix. I mixed one song. It's a very famous percussionist who will go unnamed. <laughs> mixed the one song with his engineer, who tracked it all, sitting next to me for the whole time. We just really hit it off. Great, he's going to love this. The guy came in, listened. Let me hear it again. Listen, said, man, I don't know what you're thinking, but this just isn't going to work, man. I'm going to have to sit over your shoulder for every second and tell you what to do. Huh. And you huh. know what I said? Right. I dismounted his driver. Thanks. I guess I'm the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm not the right guy for you. But wait, Don't but you wait. Wish we had that opportunity. Yeah, I'm gonna wait. <laughs> no, there's no wait. It's too late. You're I'm gonna live vicariously through you, Dennis. <laughs> it works. I've done it a few times. Uh, you know, I had the same situation. Uh, I was asked to remix, um, uh, you know, one song for a client. It wasn't really a client. It was just somebody that asked me to remix something. And we started to mix, and the client freaked out and said, that's not the snare drum sound. It's not the snare drum sound. I'm thinking, that's a pretty good snare drum sound. What is he talking about? So he plays me the original mix, and there's a sample. It was being triggered. Mm. And I said, well, the sample isn't here. You know, get me the sample. And he was totally unreasonable. He said, well, it's your fault. It's your fault. Where, <laughs> you know, that's not the sound. That's not the sound. And after a while, I took about... 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, and I did the same thing. Yeah. I, I said, uh, pulled all the faders down, said, oh, sorry. Yeah, and, you know, great. I can't make this work for Oh, you. man. It's a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, you know, just knowing that people have done that just makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. The, I think, you know, here's the thing. All through life, 
you're going to deal with difficult interactions all through life. You're going to have to use your conflict resolution skills all yep. through life. You're going to have to, you know, be diplomatic. Um, the reality of the situation is that the client who came in didn't know you personally from Adam, uh, he, right? He, he knows me personally. Well, I've worked on other stuff with him. Well, then he shouldn't have. Then he shouldn't. Then you know, if he was oh, I know. diplomatically skillful, then he should have tried to get to the bottom of understanding what happened rather yeah. than just going and and you know, sort of wailing on you. The thing that's the most important to realize is that you know you are a valued and obviously highly competent person at what you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing. Doing it, so therefore, to have you know, for you to take it personally that somebody is coming in there and using you as the scapegoat for miscommunication and stuff, you know, that's on them. That's not on you. No, I don't. And you know what? I'm going to get a hug later. Just say so you no. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no worries. You have no idea what kind of day he had. No, no, no. And, and you know, that he brought and wanted to unload on you absolutely right? because and you know, he could. And to be honest, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, all those things kind of helped bring me mm-hmm. down afterwards. It had just been a while since I've been in a situation that went that far south. I mean, I'm pretty good, and and I can I can salvage pretty much any situation. But when you're when you're told, you know, elephants, 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 and then all of a sudden they come in and they say, you know, they want a chalkboard, then it's like. <laughs> You know, you just can't, you can't, you can't do it. Well, you know? the right thing to do is not to sit and take abuse. The right thing to do is listen, well, right? And then at some point, at the opportune moment, say, hmm, you know, I hear the fact that you're disappointed. Clearly, there was a mu- miscommunication here because it was my understanding, yeah. right? Rather than using the you words, use I words. Oh, no, no. My yeah. understanding was that it was supposed to be like this. I'm sorry that that it didn't meet your expectations. What can we do to fix it? And that immediately changes the conversation. No, it did. And and at the end, the resolution is tomorrow. I've got this big recording session where I have to record some stuff, and it, it's I can't say more. But yeah. and you know, I will say. The original client who came in, they're under a lot of pressure because it's a pretty high-profile thing. And if everything works out and it all gets done, then I'll, we'll talk about it. Because it is really a pretty big, high-profile thing. So I can understand their pressure. But, boy, going south that fast and that big, it's been a long time. Rob, how about you? You ever had any interactions with clients like that? Or Yeah, I mean, I've had my shared nightmare <laughs> clients, and I'm pretty good at being the diplomat and calming it all down. Although... I also have a few times said, you know what? I'm not your guy. <laughs> That's great. great I've feeling. also said things like, and by the way, your guy doesn't exist. <laughs> I will say it's an incredibly freeing feeling afterwards yes. after you've done that because you realize the headache that you've just saved yourself. I mean, it's a very thing. You, you know, you don't want to risk blowing a really good gig or hurting your reputation or anything else. But in the past, when I've actually had that happen, it's been with clients who were renowned nightmares Mm. who ended up going on to not being able to find anyone to work with them because they were such nightmares. So I was one in a long, you know, list of people who had sort of said, sorry, not interested. Um, But you have to pick and choose your spots, but man, does it feel good when you do. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I feel better, guys. Thanks. Good. This you is should. good. I feel better because I know that some guys get to walk away from their clients, which is awesome. And then I feel good because Brandon's been in the same situation that mm-hmm. I've been in. And then I feel good because Nick, you know, he's the peacemaker over here. And he's going to yeah. arm me with some really good, uh, you know, skills to defuse that situation. That, uh, my, my therapy rate is only $125 <laughs> an hour. <laughs> Rob, were you say something? You always have to ask the question. I've talked about this on other podcasts. You always have to ask, what is this worth? Yep. You know, what is it worth to me to put up with this person? And it's not just dollars and cents a lot of times, but it's, it's understanding your own value, understanding what you know and what you don't know and figuring out what is your time worth and what is your, just your psyche worth to deal with something. And you have to make that decision. I think we've talked about that in the past when it came to budgeting. Right. Like, how do you budget for a gig? And I remember saying back then, which I've said a million times, I always try to come up with a budget that by the end of this project, I'm not going to hate it. I try to figure out what it's (laughs) going to take to do it, figure out there's going to be overages and overtime and everything else. But when we get to the finish line, what am I not going to have regretted budgeting for this project? The same is true with any of this. How much of my soul am I willing to let these these people cannibalize to get their project done? Yeah, and there's a certain number. I mean, everybody puts up with some garbage, yeah. but know know the limits. Mike, I know you recently told me a story. I don't know if you can tell it on there where you realized it was going to be a nightmare situation, so you priced so high that it just priced you out of the game. Yeah, well, yeah, that was another. <laughs> I've had some weird projects lately. <laughs> no, that is true. I, I, I was involved in this. I got approached to do this one project, and uh, I. I can't tell you what it is. I had to sign an NDA and everything, but it was going to be so bad. And, and I want to keep the relationship with the company. So I just priced myself up so that they're like, oh man, we can't, we can't do that. And yet they still invited me to come down and to hang out with them. And they have some other stuff coming down the pipe. So, okay. And had they said yes, then you would have been sure, whatever. Well, yeah. Or, Cause it would have been like, yeah. I mean, look, if they had said yes, it's like, you know, I would have gotten five out of the six numbers in the lottery. I mean, <laughs> when, okay. I, when I say well, I priced myself out, oh, really? <laughs> I priced myself sure. out. I was an overachiever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So guys, you know, that's it's you know, all in all, I don't have much to complain about because everybody has those kind of days. But it's just it was surprised me. I, I mean, I was just really surprised by by how. Bad it went. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, moving on. We got a few things to talk about. One thing we're going to talk about is um, is the fact that um, well, Nick, you were telling us a story about um, Avid and Pro Tools and how it's such a great tool for the up and comers, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're here already, huh? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll tell the story very briefly. Um, I was I I went. Camping with my son this weekend, we went to a four-day-long movie-making camp for Weeblos, for the Cub Scouts. And we got there, and I realized that there was no—they didn't have any audio post, and that everyone was going to be making their movies, and that I could, you know, throw some sound and some sound effects in them to, you know, really sort of teach the kids and, you know, make their movies a little bit nicer, a little shinier. So I ran home— and I just had a couple of minutes to get my stuff. So I loaded up a hard drive uh, with sound effects and with some music libraries. Um, and I said, okay, well, I'll just quickly install Pro Tools onto my laptop, which I hadn't had to do. And, of course, I had a dongle and a legitimate copy of Pro Tools 10 on the dongle and so forth. So I tried installing it, 
And of course, it said, Pro Tools 10 will not install because you're running Yosemite. Give us money to be able to update to Pro Tools 12 instead. Uh, at that point, of course, uh, <laughs> my ire was, uh, was up, to say the least, and I said, what should I do? Hmm, that's right. I bought a copy of Reaper for $60 five years ago, went into Gmail, found the product authorization key that they had sent me, downloaded the latest version of Reaper right onto the laptop, which took all of five minutes, typed in the product authorization key, and I said, all right, I guess uh, I better download the manual and learn how this stuff works. So went back to the campsite, spent the next two days learning how to use Reaper, uh, and then proceeded to do all of the audio post for all of these films and stuff in Reaper. And let me tell you, it was just fine. And the thing that blew my mind about it was not the fact that Avid made it impossible for me to be able to use the industry standard thing that I had paid for, for you know, a project that I needed to. What blew my mind about it was that in many ways, Reaper is better than Pro Tools. A $60 program is better for music editing than Pro Tools. A $60 program has more features than Pro Tools. A $60 program is a thousand times more customizable and configurable than Pro Tools. Didn't crash, worked beautifully. Wait, but it does not work with iLock, though. You're right, it doesn't. You're, what was I thinking? And it's not on the subscription model either. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Wait, does it have input monitoring? <laughs> it, it just, it blew my mind. It's a great program. It's a great it's, it program. It is a fantastic pro. I, I have Reaper running on a Surface Pro 3. You do? I mean, it's, it, it's, such, a, it's such a great program to put on... On all those computers that you're like, I wonder if it'll work or won't work. I guarantee you, there's not much that it won't run it on. It runs on anything. It, the thing that blew me away is doing audio post, everybody has to buy Pro Tools and they have to buy SoundMiner or some other sound effects library system because Pro Tools doesn't have really any easy way for you to be able to audition sound effects and then fly them in. Reaper does. You just sit there and you go through and you find the sound that you want, grab a region of it, just like in SoundMiner, hit a key, it spots it right to the you know time position within the program, just like SoundMiner does working with Pro Tools. It's sixty bucks. It just blew it just blew my mind. Yeah, it's, you know, it's 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 just a it's great to see these programs. You only wish that they would catch on, you know, because it's Pro Tools is a standard, and it's you know, and that's a pretty big thing to to overcome. Okay, but how about the new Nuendo? Because they're starting to make a push in the post, and, they and it's labeled post. They, you know? they yeah. absolutely should. You know, they, here's a good good thing. I was working on a project, and this I can tell you about. I needed to do a mega multi channel mix for a project, and when I be multi channel, think. Um, an 18.4 system, all right? 18 oh. speakers, 18 channels with four channels of sub. I don't wow. know why you need it, but that's the way it was it was spec'd out. I was probably just going to tie all the subs together anyhow. But I was trying to think of a really good way to set that up in a, in a DAW system um, to have a 17, 18-channel array so that I could pan from one side to the other. That's not an easy thing to do. No, you know, I I kind of came up with something using a couple seven point one templates tied together, but still to do a, a, a pass by from one side to the next side, you got and it and if you're working in Atmos, that multi channel, I know you could do that, and and but when there's no when you're not going to be licensing that kind of technology, that's not <laughs> that's not an easy thing to do, but 
I bet you somebody in Reaper could figure out how to do that. I'll one. bet. Because that's, you know, you can do all kinds of crazy things like that. Well, there is a, a plugin with it called Resurround, and I haven't looked at it, but I know that it allows you to do at least 5.1 mixing within Reaper. And since everything is programmable, since right. it allows you to be able to do JavaScript extensions, since there's a whole community of people out there that are doing all sorts of stuff to add to Reaper. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I don't know that that would be the case, but it wouldn't surprise me if that were if that were the case because it's an open standard. Yeah, and I never actually had to figure out the end the end end of the line, but it was uh, it was when I was thinking about that. That's just a daunting task to work with those giant. You know, I know Scott would know how to do something like that because he's worked you know with Atmos and he's worked on some of those other ones, but. You know, when you think about audio, especially with some of the, the major players, there's there's so much more that could be going on. That's why I'm glad Nuendo and Steinberg are making yeah. a push because they really – look, it's iron sharpens iron, man. If Nuendo can make a, a foothold into the uh, in industry and and a lot of play, and actually it's only here in the U.S. Over in Europe, it's a, it's a different ballgame because you've got Prism, you've got Red, you've got all those other um, – Sadie. D- yeah, Sadie. You have all those other um, DAWs that are over here, over there. Um, but you know, unfortunately, a lot of post is still done here. So I'm hoping Nuendo, you know, can really bring it on. I loved it when I worked it, and that was, uh, you know, I guess I stopped in version three or something. I just, I wish, you know, their hardware integration, especially with like control surfaces. I know you can use any control surface, but it'd be great if they had a couple branded control surfaces. They do. They but, do. No, but the no, Yamaha Nuage, yeah. but. That weren't as expensive. That are like you know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, I've seen in the Washington. It's a it's a gorgeous looking thing, but it's expensive. You know, a post house nowadays. You know, you're not going to put in when you start your new system. What maybe thirty grand to get up and running for everything, which was not always the you know back when they started. You're talking you know hundred thousand dollars minimum to get in the in the game. Now you can start twenty to thirty grand. You can get a, a nice system and. And so what you need is you need a decent controller that can come in around the $7,000, $5,000 range. You know, you get something like that with a little bit of talk What's Nuage? How much is that? It's If you want to get a full system, I think it's in the 30K range. Oh, wow. I think it starts at about 17 or 18, but that also includes the, the, the converters and everything. So it's the whole thing. There's a card that plugs which, into your computer. There's all of the I.O. And like the control, like the main control module. And then you buy more additional fader packs as you go along to add stuff. The thing that I thought was super cool about it, among I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to see it next week, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it looks like it has a uh, LCD surface. Right. Um, towards the front of it, or towards the rear of the, the the plane of the console, and then you go out and buy you know inexpensive additional LCD computer monitors that you put behind the system, and so you see the user interface go out and then up, hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Um, and you know, that's kinda, Cubase that's, has got great metering, and so Nuendo does too. I mean, it's. I, I'm sure it's completely fantastic, and I'm sure it's totally optimized for post, and I will be able to report on it the next time that we have a uh, podcast. Yeah, because you're going that RSP thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I'll, I'll head over there. I'll meet you there. I'll brother. see you there. Yeah, I'll see you there. Hey, Rob, Nuendo. I mean, are you have you used it recently? I mean, I know for you were Cubase heavy, and I know you're now Pro Tools. You you've have you used the new version? Um, I still go back and forth. I actually did a session with uh, Bobby Summerfield, uh, which was a music session, not post. We did it last week, and we used the new Nuendo, and it was really cool. I'm not. I haven't actually used it for any of the post stuff yes most of the post stuff in my life is still being done in pro tools i mean in that world for me it's all about file interchange with other studios and other people yeah. so 
I use what they're using because I never want to not do a gig because of file format. Yeah. Right. So, it's, or, or lose time because you have to transfer things. Which yeah, is I mean, that's such a nightmare, and I hate yeah. being stuck in the middle of that. We've all been stuck in those giant mm-hmm. transcoding sessions and stuff where you're just trying to format convert something, and you're really getting literally nothing else done, and that's very frustrating. So I always maintain all these systems in my studio. As soon as someone comes with me with a Reaper project, I'll get Reaper. <laughs> uh, it's going to cost 60 bucks, man. I don't know. <laughs> Start saving now. Isn't that funny, though? It's like... Pro Tools, it's, I mean, it's the only product out there that so many people want to run away from, but just can't. I guess it's like heroin, you know, it's well, like drugs. Nuendo already totally blew it once by trying to have music guys sell it into the post market. Yeah. So this is not, they've taken many stabs at this, and maybe they've got it right now. I hope they do. It's a great product. What I find, that was the problem. I'm sorry, um, step on you. Rob, what I find interesting is that Pro Tools Expert, the the website ProToolsExpert.com, out of uh, the UK, they very subtly have started a couple other sites based around other DAWs. Have they really? Yes. Good for them. Which signals to me that they're thinking, oh, we better you know spread our our wings a little bit here, lest we get caught with something that be obsolete. It's such a com. Well, you know, it just frustrates me because Avid, because you know, Pro Tools isn't a bad program. You know, I mean, I, I use it every day. It's not a bad sure. program. Some things it does phenomenal. It's quick. It's fast. The routing, your IOs, your auxes, all that stuff is just blazingly fast. Your templates, all that stuff. It's all the stuff around it that is just so bad. I it's mean, the business part now, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, have you have you gone to the website and tried to like? Oh, I'd like to get into Pro Tools. And then you see all the subscription and you can buy a 12 and you have 12 HD, but you can't get HD if you have, don't have the, the current uh, hardware. So how much is that going to cost? Well, that's five grand. But if you're going to upgrade from six or seven, then it's going to cost you 2500 I mean, it's just so convoluted. Yet you know? I hear that their big push is down market. It's Pro Tools free. It's Pro Tools one, I think, that they have. Uh, they're... They're going down market, and this is, you know, from the CEO, that's their focus. And I hear this from people that are, have been in on meetings and all this, that that's all they want to talk about. And there are people that are trying to push them, you know, hey, wait, pros, pros. No, 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 we have to talk about consumer, consumer, and, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Because it's called I, consumer tools, right? Yeah. That's the name but of you the know what? I, I, amateur I, tools. Hey, they, could, they could freaking, you know... Market to elementary kids, as long as they don't cripple the product as much as they do on the lower end, you know, where you don't have as many tracks as you really could use. You don't have some you know, some of the basic functionality that you would want to have. Go after the low end, but give them a good product on the low yeah. end. Rob, have you heard anything from the inside on, on Pro Tools 12 or anything? Um, no, I mean, I, the only buzz I've heard is a lot of people saying Pro Tools 12 gives them more buses and they don't necessarily need it except for the high end post guys. But no, I, I've not been really keeping my ear to the ground on that stuff. Well, hey, listen, we're going to, we'll, we'll move off the, uh, avid bashing cause you know, cause we've never done that I before. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, I'm a huge fan. So. <laughs> 
We st- you know what? Just for the record, so am I. Believe it or not. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, I use it all the time. I'm happy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would have been happier if I could have just stayed on ten. Yeah. Hey, speaking of of Pro Tools, um, I don't know if, if you remember, but I've been having a, a heck of a time with Martin's with new. With Martin, ways. yes, yeah. yeah. So here's something weird, okay? And um, I was telling you that one of the CPUs was just running away, yeah, going up. You know, sixty percent, seventy percent. And when you look at the system usage, one of the cores, I switched monitors. Literally, all I did was switch monitors. The exact same system, and I didn't get any graphic crashes. And that CPU is not running away anymore. Wow! How weird is that? Monitors, and I know it was the monitors because that's the only thing that changed. Because basically, I took it from Martin's house to my studio, and I plugged it in, and I don't have the same monitors that he has. Everything else stayed the same, and my CPU usage now goes like thirteen, fourteen, and kind of just hangs out in there. And I was his, thinking, are his monitors new? Yes, the monitors that 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 we put into Martin's system were brand new, and they're Dell's, and they have a higher resolution than what I'm running. So I'm yeah, wondering. But- it, one thing that can happen, it definitely happens on laptops. I don't know if it happens on the other computers, but there are multiple graphics subsystems in there, and some of them will use more CPU power. Some of them are like native to the motherboard and closer right. to the CPU, and yeah. some of them are a separate GPU chip. And it's quite possible that for some reason his CPU was being taxed to drive his – something in his monitor was right. telling it to use some mode that used more CPU. That, yeah. And that is – you know, thank you, Rob, because I was actually going to ask you that when we were off the air about about it. But um, yeah, I I just had never seen anything. You take monitors for granted that they're so you know plug and play, but I can absolutely tell you that they're and Martin's monitors aren't bad. They're actually really good monitors. You know, I'm having a monitor problem, a terrible monitor problem right now, and it started on my laptop. I have uh, an external 24, and it died. It wouldn't wake up from sleep one day. So what happened was I took my external monitor from my iMac, which is my system that I use for Pro Tools, and when I put it on the laptop, it got stuck at 640 by 480, and it just stayed there, and I couldn't change it. When I took that monitor back and put it on my iMac with Pro Tools, it stayed at 640 by 480, and I haven't been able to get it to change back, no matter what. Have you Have you tried... Unplugging it and plugging oh, it I, yeah, while I've, it's on. Yes, I've done all okay. of that, I, I, and I've been on on the web for you know a, two weeks now, and I've tried every conceivable thing. Rob and I actually talked about it the other day, and he went through a list and he said, "Okay, well, you've done everything I would have done." So yeah, I, he tried everything I could think of. Yeah, man, if Rob couldn't figure that one out, <laughs> I, I actually went to the Genius Bar, which I had never done before. <laughs> And first of all, it was with my laptop. I said, okay, I'm having a problem. Were were they geniuses? They were in this case. I I was going to say, when you go to the genius bar, the harder a time they had figuring out your problem, the more you're supposed to refer to them as a genius. (laughs) (laughs) What what was the solution? I'm curious. It was Apple F2 on the laptop, which changes resolution and then changes it back. And what he did, it was so fast. He plugged in the external monitor, and before we can even say, oh, it's not working, he went, and all of a sudden it worked. And he looked at me like, see? 
And I looked at him like, well, wait a second. You shouldn't have done that before. And, and then he said, I guess I shouldn't have done that, right? Well, he's so, a genius and you're not. Yeah. So he got my laptop working. So no problem. So I thought, now I know the secret. It's Apple F2. It won't work on my desktop. Apple F2 will not work. It's a laptop. Time thing. to visit the genius again. <laughs> yeah. With your, time to bring the genius home yeah, to your desktop. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Rob, are you going to say something? I, I knew. Yeah, I... there was one other thing about uh, Martin's computer that can be helpful. I forget the name of it, but there is a little free utility out there for the Mac that you run it and it puts it up in the little icon bar at the okay. top of the screen, and it shows you which of the graphics processors you're using in your machine, so you can tell when you're switching from CPU to the GPU and all that kind of stuff. Right. And the cool thing about it, your system switches way more than you would think. Like every time you open Chrome, it switches. And every time you go to a different website, depending on the website, it can switch. And you don't know and the name I, of that? I don't remember, but I remember I found it just by looking up like, you know, graphics switching mode. I'm, Mac or I'm something. using it. I can send you the, the, the link. Yeah, send me the link. But it's not working now. It used to work fine. It, now, it looks at my external monitor, which is a Dell. It looks at it, and it says, oh, it's generic. You know, the Martin's problems, monitors, were, were Dell's also. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but I tried Samsung, too. And- oh, okay. All right. Anyway, all right. The Audio Nowcast, <laughs> where we convince all listeners to go back to analog tape again. Right. <laughs> wow, what a depressing first half. <laughs> what did we learn? Clients hate you, Pro Tools is the devil, and your monitor is out to kill you. <laughs> well, you know what? On that note, we're going to take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to get into some uh, really good uh, meat and potatoes, and we're going to talk about... Uh, Drums and miking and percussion and all kinds of stuff with Dennis. Dennis, you okay? Is you enjoying this first half? Uh, yes, I'm okay. <laughs> 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 all right, we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break... It was just ugly. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't know if that was our finest half hour we've ever done, but <laughs> it's all behind us now. I know, but we're going to. Uh, things are going to be better we're for be- the four <laughs> listeners that haven't already turned off the podcast. I'm going to look at all the uh, the statistics. And you're going to see. Oh, look, we just lost. Oh, we just lost England. Oh, there goes Germany. <laughs> We got one guy left. He's in like Idaho, <laughs> and he's upset too. Um, anyhow, so uh, let's change it. We're going to totally change the whole mood, and um, we're going to talk about drums, and we're going to talk about recording, and, and we're going to talk about well, Dennis. Let's just talk about um, well. For one thing, you recorded Steve Gatt, and Steve, I, I toured actually toured with him when I was with Al Jarreau, and let me just mm-hmm. tell you. Nicest guy. I Great mean, guy. The guy was just mm-hmm. amazing. I had one of those moments where I was eating breakfast with Steve Gadd and Harry, his uh, his drum tech at the time, 
And it's one of those, you guys ever have that moment of like self-realization where you're just like, holy smokes, mm. I'm eating breakfast with steel. <laughs> it was just one of those, and we were in Germany, and I was just, to me, it was, it was just that moment was such a great moment. But Steve, he's such a great, he's just a monster player. What did he have for breakfast? <laughs> I, you know what? I can't even, I can't even, um, I don't even remember what he had to be honest it was it was like i don't know toast <laughs> i'm not even sure i don't even know if he ate breakfast to be honest but i just i just i'll never forget that moment he was really cool and at the end of the tour you know i've said this before he i got a drum head signed by him and al Jarreau, and it's one of the few things i've ever like souvenirs i've ever gotten from tours because it was just it was just so special you know especially with steve but how it let's let's talk about your approach to drumming i mean you do some pretty interesting thing when you record um what's your basic like when you're going to start a session talk us through a little bit about how you set up your mic mic for recording drums well i mean i go back to simple very simple way you know i don't you know i don't use like for example a bottom snare mic i don't use uh, really no don't use it. You know, I don't feel you need it unless your snare is more than five inches. Uh, Johnny Vatos from Oingo Boingo, I re- work with him. Uh, we've recorded a number of times. He has a secondary snare that's about 12 or 14 inches deep. You have to put one on that. But, right. Uh, I try and keep it simple. I try not to over-mic. You know, um, with Gad, uh, I had listened to his previous CD, and I saw some issues in it, and I knew why those issues were in the mix and so i tight mic'd it symbols i was four inches above the bell really he had three symbols two crash and a ride and i had the symbol mics four to six inches so if he said turn up the symbol it only turned up the symbol wow bring, you know, most guys will mic three feet above right exactly mics, you always bring have bring up that. the symbol yeah. the whole left whole side kit, of the yeah, kick right. comes up and i heard that and they're like oh man they weren't thinking ahead so before I I listened to that and go, I would have recorded that way even before I got the project. Wow. Then I, I had a little in uh, through people I knew, and I said, I want that project. I can get that project. I I can get that. And I did. I worked on it so to get that. I'm still stuck in the fact that you don't, you don't bottom mic a snare because that's almost like you see that and – everybody bottom mics a snare. But, I mean, you're but right, though. I, mean, <laughs> uh, I don't do it either. Really? Uh, Weckle doesn't either. Dave Weckle. I've been a sound guy 15 years. No bottom snare mic. Wow. No, no don't need it. But That's then a guy amazing. like our dear departed friend, Ricky Lawson, you know, bottom snare mic. And when he'd play, that's all he wanted to hear in the headphones. He didn't want to hear the top mic. Because hmm. I already hear the top mic. It's two feet from my ear. Huh. I want to hear the bottom. No, it makes flip, sense. Yeah. yeah, flip it out of phase and turn it up in his monitor. Wow. That's really interesting. really odd. Yeah. And all those guys are like some serious drummers, and the fact that they that they don't, I you know uh, yeah. I, I just that's that's pretty amazing. Well, like Weckle, he, he mics close. He uses a Sure right. Beta ninety eight clip on. Right. Um, we have uh, used four fourteens on the floor toms, um, but I, I'll mic. You know, I put them on the same direction, so there's no phase issue. Uh, you know, in fact, it's funny. The first time I worked with him, he has he had the top three toms pointing towards him and then right. he had the bottom floor tom the mic behind it huh. coming 180 i said you might want to put that over there and he, he always when i started working with him he'd always test test me 
well, oh, yeah, well, why would I want to do that? I go, <laughs> well, it's 180 degrees out of phase with, with other mics. Okay, I'll try it. And he kept it that way for yeah. years. He had to move it back a little more because of the way his hardware is set up. But, uh, uh, you know, people don't think about things like that. Yeah. Well, the one thing that, that you do differently from most engineers is you use Beta 98s as well on toms. I, ha- I have. I'm not using them anymore. I'm, oh, you're not? I'm not in the studio. No. No, I'm trying. Well, my favorite is the old 451s, hmm. the little swivel. Yeah. Right, but you just can't get them anywhere, and if you do, they they don't sound the same. So I've been using uh, KSM one forty ones on Gads. I use those. They're actually a little more fidelity and a little more warmth and body than the four fifty one. The four fifty one is extremely directional, so you could put them. You can move them back three inches, so you can get some of the sound of the head. You know, pointed at the center, back from the edge, so you pick up some tone. You know, you don't want it right on there. To, and you know, I, I feel that it doesn't pick up enough of the drum. You know, you're just picking up an area of the drum when you huh. mic it too closely. So if I put it back, looking over the edge, about four inches up, pointed at the center, I'll get the attack from the stick. I'll get the tone of the drum. And if it gets too boomy, I can move it back, and I still get enough separation. But the 451 was really good for separation. The the KSM 141, 137s, they're they're pretty similar. Uh, I've been using have same the really nice tone. Let me ask you a question because I'm still stuck on this whole don't don't record this stuff. You know what, what's funny though is as I'm thinking back the projects I have mixed. You know generally you're using the top mic anyhow. You bring in a little bit of the bottom for a little bit of the snap, a little bit of that you know you know that because you, you hear the sure. snares from below mm-hmm. there. When you when you mic the snare. Where are you micing it? Are you are you doing it? I'm on the. Uh, it's almost horizontal. Okay. Do it, and it's over the edge. And on a 57, right, the first ring on the mic is over the hoop, about one inch above, hmm. almost horizontal, but just pointing down just a hair towards the center of the drum where it hits it. Huh. And that's it, and it, it seems to work. I mean, it has for all these years. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I bet. I bet you hear. Well, like. All that little grace notes that these guys do, yeah. all those little, uh-huh. that little, you know, the little. Right. If you need little, some more crack on it, you just right. the AP, 550A with 10 at 10K, yeah. right there. Oh, what a great shelving! It's beautiful. See, uh, I, I literally learn something every podcast. Now, see, when I work with <laughs> Ken Scott, yeah. yeah, what he did is he used KM84s on on the snare right, on the snare. And he used U87s and all the toms. Okay, I've done that. Wow. And it really sounded great, but again, you have to be in a place where you have enough U87s available. And he used uh, coals for overheads, yeah. which were, were very high uh, over the kit, um, you know, pretty much like you do it. Did he use top and bottom? Well, for the snare? Yeah, he did. Came in for, yeah, I've yeah. known guys who have done that. T- uh, Larry Hirsch, who used to be T Bone Burnett's guy, he used two. Top and bottom, 45, 90 degree angles, um, 451 AKGs mm-hmm. on there, and he used top and bottom. But for me, it, I just don't need it. You know, I never liked the sound of the bottom snare mic. It never sounded natural to me when I put them both together. It just sounded fake, always. <laughs> That's funny because we were working with Gad. He goes, is there, is there a bottom snare mic on? I go, no. He goes, good, get that crap off. I hate it. <laughs> He, he hates it. He didn't want it at all. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing. Well, you don't put a lot of it in because it's it doesn't. You know what? 
it doesn't the attack on a bottom snare mic is is mushy. It doesn't sound yeah, it sounds tight. like a fizzle. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't have that that tight transient of that stick it. So I can understand. That's why you you know you just well, use it. The other problem, I think, is most people use it as an afterthought, and and they don't choose their microphone they're going right. to use. They, they'll, you know, oh, what do we have laying around? Let's use that. Oh, that's true too. You know? and, and I think because of that, you get a less than ideal, you know. Sound. I mean, I've done it myself. You know, I, I mean. I've used Sennheiser four forty one on the bottom, because which is a wonderful. I guess it's very directional; just picks up this much. But when I first started, I, there was a period when I tried it. You know, and then I just said it's not working for me. And it, I used to put a keypex too, about you know, little keypex, mm-hmm. and I trigger the 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 bottom uh, mic with the top mic, so it would just open up when they hit the snare. But when you're playing softly, yeah, well, it worked great for Motown sessions with yeah. the backbeat, Gadsden, no problem. But when uh, Chester Thompson, the Great drummer Chester Thompson. We used to, he used to love it when I'd experiment a little on this kit. Wow! He encouraged me to to try this. Put some room mics up, you know. Put a bottom snare mic up and see how it works. Well, let's go there. Tell me about your approach to room mics because that is a little different from other people. And again, most of the time it'll be random for people. Oh, I, I like the sound of the room. I'll put one here and here. But you, you have a more yeah. definitive approach. I'm about uh, 8 to 10 feet out in front of the kit, and I'm parallel looking at the edge of the kit. The edge of the kit? The edge. They're parallel right. looking at the, the outside edges of the kit. Right. Because you want to... You want to pick up the room. You just don't want a distant mic of the of the kit. You want the room. So if you put them ninety degrees or pointing towards the center, right, you're not getting you're getting a stereo image image of the kit at a distance. But you are not getting if you move them out. You're picking up actually the reflections of the room more. So it works for me. It depends what room you're in too. I did one in New York. That's pretty at awesome. The old Vanguard Studios, right. and it did not work. Because the room was so ambient, wow, forty foot ceilings. I don't. It's not there anymore. I'm sure, but um, they were forty foot ceilings. There's a huge hundred feet wide, and if you put the room mics out too far, we actually had to deaden it up wow. quite a bit. Put some packing blankets on the floor behind it. So when you when you get a session like a like a GAD session, right? I mean, just a phenomenal opportunity like that. Do you do you do a lot of experimenting like different? Mics on the snare and on the toms. You already know what you're going to do. Do you use different snares? Does he bring in a cartload of 14 <coughs> snares and and you try to see which one is what? He had and- a couple snares and he had a couple cymbals, but no, I had that. They were rehearsing for three days, and I came in at rehearsal and started playing around with sounds, miking stuff up. But I knew I knew a month before I went in exactly what I was going to do. Wow. A month before I went in. The only thing that I wasn't sure of was the room mics because I didn't know the space. Right. So the, the space where we recorded it, I actually couldn't take advantage of putting room mics where they would have been ideal. So they were actually just high overheads out a little. You know, it was in a, it was a garage, basically. Was the whole band playing at the same time? Everybody's playing live. And were they going for tracks from everybody or just drum tracks? Everything. Yeah. All live. They wow. Very little fixing. He did a lot of overdubs, though. He'd do, like, like little backbeat things, things like that. But Now, when he gets there, okay, you just set this up, and, and Steve's showing up for the first day. 
Does he play 10, 15 minutes just to hear it? Or, I mean, how, do, how does he, I mean, what? <laughs> no. Hey, can I hear your, there's a funny, I just saw a funny video on YouTube about sound check with the, can I hear the snare drum? Tink, 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 tink. <laughs> that's him. That's, that's, most of them are like that. Right. So he's like that too. No, I had to get them while they were rehearsing. We didn't do any sound check. So you I ju- knew exactly what I knew. So you just started recording, and then I said, "Are you? I'm ready to record." If you guys are, we started recording. That's pretty just awesome. Like that, you know I'd what? Hundred percent pre-planned in my head. That's pretty good though, because you didn't break their flow. You know, you that's it's just just to true. get right in there, and and that's that's super important. Yeah. You know that you don't want to. After they've been rehearsing this long, then you take two days just to try to figure out what kind of drum you know, uh, sounds you are and stuff like that. Yeah. That's pretty... He did throw one curve at me, though. But actually, it was later on in mixing <clears throat> where he changed it from a viewer pers- listener perspective to drummer's perspective <laughs> when the mixes were 80% done. Really? Yeah. So, you know, with me, I balance a guitar out with a hi-hat, you know, or a ride cymbal. Everything has its place. Right. Everything, and when you do that, it's like wow, the whole mix is left heavy now. So this we had to go through. I actually had to go on a tour. I think I might have told the story last time about how this ended. Is I had a one month Mike Stern tour coming up, and I had to leave. And we had three days left to actually. I think we had two days left to fine tune eight more mixes, and we were doing about one a day, Hmm. one every two days. So I had to pass it off. To You're doing it on a console? In the box. In the box. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, very little processing. Very, very, very little. No limiting, no EQing, huh. nothing. So you get a real natural huh? sound. Like- oh, yeah. It's easy to do if you just listen. <laughs> I think. Put the I, mics in the right, right Dennis, place. what mics do you like using for the room mics? Uh well, C12s, but I don't have those, so I use. <laughs> I'm now using the Shure VP88 stereo mic, but it's. I, I, I'm not sure. I could be wrong on this, but uh, I was talking to someone that said it's not a true stereo mic. It's kind of a the fake and you know, semi out of phase stereo mic. But I find it works very well for me, so I use that. I use two. Um, SM81s on the GAD record. I used two Studio Project uh, C4s. I just I had them and they worked perfectly for me. Yeah. Do you like using ribbon mics for percussion or for drums? I have very little experience with ri- ribbon mics, believe it or not. I had a uh, very rare. I've used DX44 on vocals before and DX77 other than that. For drums, guitars, not. But I'd really like to try and you know, fiddle around with them on guitar amps. Uh, Roy Thomas Baker is doing a, producing a project a friend of mine played drums on, and he played me that hey, you got to hear this, check this out, it's almost done. And the drums, I said, you kidding? The guitar is awesome. He uses uh, Coles ribbon mics, I yeah, think. Yeah. Coles, it might, might have been Roy. It's just out of the box, flat. Yeah. And they sounded incredible. And the drums, he goes, Don't, oh, he's going to trigger all that. And I was kind of surprised. <laughs> was, he's a legend, you know, but he didn't want to take the time to, to, to spend on that in the situation there. And he said, he'll get it perfect. And I'm sure he would. Let, let me tell you my Ray Thomas Baker drum story. Um, <laughs> I was working in Boston 
with some of the guys from the cars and uh, we're setting up to do tracks and I got everything I, I thought it was sounding good and uh, Roy walked in and the producer said oh let Roy get his drum sound so oh, okay so Roy goes over and he fiddles a little bit didn't do a whole lot and the drummer played and all of the meters pegged and never came down until the drummer stopped and that was a big part of his sound yeah. the, all the distortion and he had to have the right console or it wouldn't work mm-hmm. you know? right. so he was used to the Trident consoles which sound completely different from the MCI that was there <laughs> yeah and, sure. and, and I I thought it sounded you know not as good as I've heard before <laughs> and, and he kind of felt the same but nonetheless that was a big part of his sound you know the meters just pegged hmm. was and this for a Cars record? No, it was uh, Rico Kasich for us. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it wound up, it, it, it was really demos when it came down to it. I thought it was going to be, you know, his solo record, but... That's a track. I hate it when that happens. How um, how yeah. aggressive are you on your micing? I mean, where are your levels, like on the snare? Are you, are you pegging it, or are you... I get up to zero. It can go over a little, it'll take it. But on tape, I used to keep everything... Right up to zero. I used to cut plus seven on four ninety nine. I got you. But uh, Pro Tools, you know, I figure if it goes over a little and there's a clip, something distorts, I'll just take it and put a new one in from somewhere else <laughs> before they even hear it. Um, yeah, I, I give some room to to breathe. Right. I give some headroom. Do you do any uh, bus compressing or anything on nope. the on the drums to no no to, to, I have on some heavy rock stuff but no not so much I I used to never use compressors on drums and then I started when Pro Tools came out because I was missing something and it's the tape compression yeah you know, that you miss but um, I use the Digi plugins because you don't hear them they're very mild the way they work I just hit it maybe a dB I don't hit it very hard. Huh. Just very lightly. Now onto tape, I'm doing it. Um, I have a couple of 160Xs, so I'll put them on the kick and the snare, but just barely. And the more I do this, even after all these years, I'm using less and less compression. Gaz record, none. We didn't use any except on the trumpet. Wow. And in the mixing, too. Is there a lot? And. Is there a lot of dynamics? Is he, is he, I mean, because he plays oh, with just geez. a ton of dynamics, yeah. you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's... Sneak a couple limiters in there. <laughs> <laughs> right, because he can go... He goes oh. soft, and then he can smack the GV oh, yeah, and, you know... Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not like a heavy, heavy hitter, but he can, his, he can his dynamic range is definitely, yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah. there. And a guy like Weckl, he plays more steady. Right. You know, you know where it's going to be, you know? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, he's, he's great. My, my favorite drummer to work with lately has been Keith Carlock. We were talking about him earlier. He's with Steely Dan now and right. everybody all at the same time. I, he's a monster drummer. I great mean, guy. But his kit, it just sounds so good. You know, I've done live stuff with him, but I just, I can hear it, you know, this guy. I'm, we keep threatening to record together, but... Probably will soon. Well, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. What what are your like preferences as far as drum heads go? I mean, is it coded ambassadors? I mean, what are you? Uh, I like, yeah, they work best. No black dots, no hydraulic right, heads, right. no ply, super ply, because they all deaden the sound. You know, 
heavy duty. I mean, the thin ones have better tone, but you know you can't use them long. You poke holes in them. Right. So. How about for cymbals? Um, it depends because there's so many varieties. Uh, like Weckl used to be with Zildjian when I started with them. I was with him when he switched to Sabian, and the, uh, the first thing I noticed is how much louder they are. Yeah, they're much louder, but they have a great sound, you know. But then the Zildjian, it depends. You know, you can get a. Uh, I, I like Zildjian and Sabians. You know, Sabians are nice mics, but you know he goes through them. He he says this is a little dark here. I need this fixed. You know, or I need more ping on this, and they'll grind it down and mill it until it's exactly what he wants. So, you know, if you're just getting stuff off the shelf, um, I, I really like the Zildjians, but again, the Zabians. You know, what, one of the things is you're working with some of the drum greats that know how to balance themselves and balance their kit themselves mm-hmm. and so many drummers just bash the hell out of the cymbals so yep. they're you know it's way above everything else which means that you almost have to mic the cymbals rather than you know just yeah. using simple overheads because they just hit them so hard they don't know about balance that's true yeah but the most of the guys i work with are pretty you know pretty even-handed so let me ask you a question on sure. the on you've heard a lot of drummers you heard a lot of drumming a lot of recordings what would you um like if you wanted to give some advice to someone who's who's going to be you know he's out there at school and they're going to be recording you know what are some of the pitfalls that you've heard that could easily be taken care of you know what what kind of miking techniques or what kind of any any little tips or secrets um, other than what you've already told us. You know? Well, it's, you know, it's an art. It's like learning an instrument, you know. You have to practice it. You have to see what works for you and not, you mm-hmm. know. But um, one tip I'll give, if you look on line and you see how a lot of guys are recording, you go, that must be the way to record it because everyone's doing it. Don't buy it. That's not true. I see stuff on there. I go, oh, my God, how can that be? It doesn't even make sense to look, when you look at it. It doesn't even make. Why did they do that? You know, one mic here, one mic here, and I go, for what? You know, what reason? Are you talking about like the Glenn Johns triangle technique? Is that? I, I see one mic in front and one mm-hmm. mic behind, pointing at each other. What? And, yeah, it's really bizarre, and I see it a lot. And I see. Uh, do they know what they're doing? That's just going to cause no, face problems. No, that's my point. Yeah, when so my tip would be is if you see it online, you say, well, it has to be good because so-and-so did it and it was on that record, so it has to be correct. It's Don't buy that. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the Glenn Johns technique, I just used it, and it was fabulous. What is it? I don't know what that is. Well, basically it's just a uh, when he first started recording the Who and, and Zeppelin mm-hmm. and everything, it was two mics. It right. was a mic in front of the kick, and it was one mic that was just... Oh, in the center of the kit, over just over the drummer's head. Right. And kind of by mistake, he found out that if he put a, another mic up over the toms at about shoulder height that was over the, the floor tom that was looking in at the snare, it sounded really good and it balanced out the rest of the kit. And then he, uh, by mistake, found out that in stereo, it actually worked really well. And that was the first stereo miking. That actually happened. Okay, okay. I know about that. Yeah. So 
uh, I tried it just recently, and it worked great. But the real key, which I happened to learn kind of accidentally from him, was that you have to crank your preamps up on the overheads about 10 dB higher than you normally would. You have to be very aggressive with them, and then suddenly it comes to life. And if you don't, it could sound, it could sound kind of limp. The other thing I did was I did fill in on tom mics and, and the snare mic just a little bit, and I, I kind of thinking, you know, if Bonham was here now, I bet he'd do this, you know, because it does sound better. Yeah. But, uh, well, there's more attack if you're using some of the close mic stuff. But right? talk about a you know a great sounding snare drum, for instance. You know, without sure. doing anything, all of a sudden the snare was was great. You know, the surf records from the, the the like low straight jackets and all these surf bands. I did quite a few of those, and two mics, one overhead, and one kick drum mic. Wow, Ari fifteen on the bass drum, maybe yeah. Ari twenty, Ari fifteen, yeah. and. Always through a UA preamp of you know the the, the new ones they're making. But oh, the six tens, yeah. Cranked, uh, just way cranked up, and they have a sound. But that's funny that you talk about that that system because I do a lot of touring with Steve Smith, and we actually do his live miking. I use a kick, a snare, and three overheads. How is it? That's how, it. how is Steve Smith? How is he? Oh, he's is a great it? guy. He's wonderful. Yeah, just a really great guy. Fun to tour with, easygoing. Talented drummer, man. Oh, he's a great drummer. That's he has just... five toms, so he can do his five tom rolls that he has. He knows a lot about the Indian music and rhythms, so he always has has five toms. But we'd, we'd put one on the side, looking in, over his toms and mm-hmm. his ride cymbals on his right side of his kit. We'd mm-hmm. put one over the hi-hat and one over the center top toms. Uh, he had... Two on, three on top, and uh, two two on the floor, and we'd put it back about two feet, and it would pick up the cymbals, it would pick up the toms, and we got it just right. It just took a minute, and we figured, okay, this is where they work. He uses um, one forty one uh, KSM one forty one Shures and a fifty seven Beta fifty two on the kick. Hmm. That's it. It works perfect. Wow. Five, five mics works really really great. Hey Dennis. Yes. Uh, quick question. What is your approach to like big, unusual drums, like giant concert drums or Tycos or any other unusually large drum? Uh, distance away, not to get it too close. Uh, big diaphragms and get a low end. Uh, I'd probably, even now in the studio, I'd, I'm trying to use my sub kick more. You know, it's you have to EQ it to get the sound right. You know, the, just using a, like an Oratone rewired has a completely different sound than the ones that Russ Miller did when they started, designed that for Yamaha. But you can EQ at 40 and add, you know, 5 dB at 40 hertz and get that fullness. But on the bigger drums, I, I'm starting to to use that more. Uh, an 87 or a uh, KSM 44 would work great on that. If you get it, you got to let the room be part of the sound hmm. a bigger drum like that cool. let me interject that Dennis and I actually wrote a drum book drum miking book it's the the drum recording handbook and we just now signed the deal for the second edition of it that's right wow yeah, yeah. that's awesome the drum recording handbook is what six years ago or something yeah. like that seven years ago that we yeah. did yeah. and it's funny how this I've known Bobby for a long time he was a, at Sonora Recorders on Los Feliz 
I built that place. Richard Barron got it from me three years later. It's my very first client. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even have a multi-track in there. We're doing live to two-track. Wow. wow. So it took a, a month just to get the money to get the multi-track. But um, he came to my new place. I would sold the studio, moved to Europe for eight years, came back. He came to my new place with his one of his bands he was producing. And we're talking. He goes, wow, you got a really great drum sound and really fast. And you know, I'd like to pick your brain on that sometime. I said, well, I made this little homemade how to record drum pamphlet I'm trying to sell on my inter- in, you know, my website. He goes, oh, cool. I want to see that. And I didn't know it was an author. He was a guitar player and a, <laughs> a record <laughs> producer when we had met. And he, uh, a man said, of many hey, talents. i got to tell you something about this book. I read it. And then he proposed that I did to me, and uh, we've done some, probably three or four thousand. Yeah, yeah, copies. we've done pretty good. Uh, yeah. Wow, pushing that's it. great. Yeah. Second edition soon coming out, everybody. I, you know, what? we're just gonna double, just like that. It's a good, it's a good book. Yeah. I promise you, seven more sales yeah. because of this podcast. <laughs> I do. I, I say some really funny things online, uh, online uh, though. You know, where they're having online arguments about. This is how you record a bass drum, and then a guy, no, you're crazy. This is how you do it. No, you're, you guys are all crazy. This is how you do it. And then some guy says, well, I saw in Bobby Osinski's drum recording handbook that this is how you do it. And then there's this pause. <laughs> Nobody poses. We're about five They'll go, yeah, shift right on. Yeah, you know, w- one thing I have to say. It's really funny. One of the best parts about the first edition was the DVD, yeah. which won't be in the second one, but the DVD was an hour and a half long, which is long for wow. these things, but a good portion of it was with Michael White right. mm-hmm. playing drums and talking about tuning and everything, and that was really, really fantastic. Yeah. That was great. Unfortunately, that won't be in the second edition. Oh. Oh. So get your first edition now. Yeah, yeah no kidding. I'll, I'll get it. Yeah. You know, drums, are, it's so funny because drums are one of those things that, A, everybody takes for granted, their drums, right? Uh-huh. But, B, there's... A billion different ways from billion different people telling you, but the last thing is, is you you just you know when you got it right by just listening, right? Sure. So if it gives you a good drum sound, then you know whatever you did to make that drum sound was right for that project. You know? That's how I learned. I I was assisting guys that aren't around anymore back in the day, Motown, working with Al Davis, watching what's he doing? That's odd drum. How come it sounds so bad on my don't do this list? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Gadsden, Jeff Bacaro, um, Milvin Webb was the other drummer. We used to use these three Did guys you work with time. Jeff Bacaro? Uh-huh. Oh, First session he did. Uh, Jermaine Jackson tune called Say La Vie. And he showed up. No one showed up on time. He'd walk in the door three minutes before the downbeat and get the coffee and go in there. He came in 45 minutes early and there was no one here. He goes, Where's everybody? So they come in late. So, so, so he, we're chatting. So I've never worked for these guys before. How are they? So they're great. You know, they'll have you drink a lot. Did you drink? He goes, yeah. So they go, well, they'll be inviting you to drink a lot. So, <laughs> so we're just kind of going around and talking. And it's a really nice session. I was actually the assistant on that. Wow. But, but um, you know, still, I, I watched everything. And um, it was really great. But Gadsden, you know, I I used to assist, and then Hal Davis got in a uh, 
argument with this engineer who is uh, not around anymore, so I can say his name. Cy Mitchell, do you remember Cy oh, Mitchell? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, he's a nut, but he was a lovely guy, a really great guy, but, you know, he, uh, he's, he did old, really old school engineering, like uh, Chicago's first two records. Wow. They have that sound, that's yep. Cy. And um, he um, got in a little argument with Hal, and every time the session would end, Cy would be out the door, make him a tape copy. So Hal would talk to me. You know, he he was never in a hurry to leave. So he goes, you can do this, all this stuff. So they called me up one day. They said, we're doing a session, midnight session, for a Thelma Houston recording. We want you to track it because, but you can't tell anybody because we're having a little out with him right now. And we want to show him that he's, you know, he doesn't have a lock on this gig. Wow. So I went in and... Russ Terena, the house engineer at Motown, Mm -hmm. said, whatever you do, don't let that guy record anymore. Use this new guy on everything you do. So it wasn't a matter. It's only a matter of a couple weeks before I was doing all the sessions. Wow. Cutting all the drums. That's called a battlefield promotion. (laughs) It was. And Gadsden, you know. The first time, I mean, I knew Gadsden, and he's he's great. I still know him. He's a wonderful friend. But the first time I worked, I said, hey, James, you know that floor, Tom? The head's a little worn out. You know, I think I could get a better sound out of it if you change it. And he's just like I slapped his mom or something. (laughs) I'm not changing that head, you know. And there's notes on it and pencil. The history on that drum head is just incredible. I, I heard the same story about Charlie Watts. Where oh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I can't remember who was engineering a Stones uh, record. It'll come to me. But the first thing he did, he went to Charlie and he said, um, "You know, your snare head is beat up. You know, you think we should change it." Charlie said, why? It's not broken. I've been using it for 20 years. Yeah. That's a thing. Oh, man. The Gadsden thing, yeah. That is awesome. Well, hey, Dennis. um, That's all. I mean, you've just given us some great tips. I mean, I've just learned a ton, you know. And, um, wow. Uh, Thank you so much for stopping Mm, by and telling us. and. We're, I'm going to be inviting you back, brother. As I'll long as, come back. As long yeah, as you keep great. coming, you're, I'm, 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 I'm putting you on the email list. I'll be here. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, as long as you're not out there, you know, touring the world, you'll always have a place to come. Are so. we wrapping up? I can call my limo driver. <laughs> the one you sent? No. There you go. It's <laughs> <Not laughs> a helicopter. Yeah. No, but it's, you know, it's so funny, though, because some of these techniques that you're talking about, and just thinking about, you know, recording the larger drums that, that Brandon was talking about. You know, as a sound designer, mm-hmm. you know, we're always recording big percussive sounds and things like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, pick your mic, find out what you want to record, find out what you want to capture, you know, right, what right. frequencies you're actually going after, you know, that in and of itself, you know. And it's much, you have to think much simpler than, than no, what it I, is, you know. I get that. It's like, especially, like I said, I mean, I, I've mixed it. You know, a ton of things where you, you always see that bottom snare drum, but you wonder if a lot of times the engineers are just doing this for the sake of everybody else has done it and let's just go and it's, it's always yeah. there. It's always I, there. It's I always there. Top snare, bottom snare. Top snare, bottom snare. You know? Some people will disagree with me, but I'm doing Weckle and Gad. Right yeah, now, you so. know what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I must be doing something That's right. right. Com- let's compare the drummers, all right? <laughs> but anyway. Thank you so much. You're totally welcome. appreciate it. And, um, yeah, it's 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 a drums. It's just a it's a 
it's so important, you know. Spend some time, get your drums right, use some of these techniques. Buy Bobby's book now. I'm, and I'm, Bobby and Dennis. Yeah, yeah, Bobby and Dennis, yeah. It's very, very helpful. It'll really help. It'll be awesome. Rob, you still awake over there? Pretty much. <laughs> Not 100%, but pretty much. <laughs> All right, well, hey, listen, um, really quick before we go. I, actually, you know what? I got to, I have, I have, Christy McConville is sitting here next to me. She's she was my intern for the summer, so I invited her over, and she actually she edits the podcast, so you actually hear her work pretty much every podcast. But uh, it's her last day tomorrow, right? On the on our on our Aww. internship, so I wanted to bring her over and tell her she did a great job this summer. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Did you learn anything? Just a couple things. Here, come talk to the mic. Just a couple things. What did you learn? Um, that <laughs> pretty much everything that's like small can like just things that you don't think about on a regular basis. Like, it, it's the small things, right? Yeah, that come back to bite you in the ass. Quote Mike Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> 2015. <laughs> that's okay. I shielded you. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. But, yeah, I don't know, learning from your mistakes, and especially when you're young. I mean, people come up to me all the time, and it's just like, yeah, you got to mess up to learn and then continue to learn forever. Right. <laughs> so. And what was my biggest pet peeve? Um, oh, stay off your phone, everybody. There you go. Yeah. There you go. For all the millennials out there. Yeah. Seriously, for for the it's like because I had a couple interns and it's they, I feel sorry for the younger generation because they are bombarded with all this you know um, you know the uh, what is it the um, fear of being left out FOMO FOMO yes yeah. FOMO where you you know they're constantly checking their phones they're constantly checking their portable devices you know. When I was that age and I was I trying to break in, I didn't have that distraction, right? So I, I, I could do nothing but pay attention. And, and I feel sorry because there's a lot of distraction. You see a lot of the interns and some of the PAs are constantly – if they're not doing their main whatever it is, then they're over here. And a lot of times, a lot of your learning and a lot of what you're you know, just picking up the stuff isn't necessarily the time when you're actually working stuff. It's all the – all the other times, it's like, oh, how a file set up? How are you naming stuff? What are you paying attention? What are you doing things? But you know, I missed a tweet of this cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's this like cool kitty, yeah. you know. It's and, it's, and I know it's tough. I, you know, I, I got kids. Like, hey, put your phone away for four hours. I, you know what? Their heads would implode, right? It just, you know. And and we didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have to worry about that. So it's like, you know, if you're out there and if you're working, man, I tell you, don't. Don't get distracted. If you can learn how to wean some time away from that, I'm not saying you have to totally get rid of it, but just know when you have to put it away and, and turn it off, or you know, do not disturb is a wonderful thing, you know. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference for other people that are around who are making decisions on whether you should bring you in, whether you should work, and, and how you're going to. It's just. It's just whether it's a good show or a bad show, you know. You know I see. Oh, sorry. Go on, Bob. You know the classic. Story, the classic version for us way back when. Scott told me this story. This must have been, I don't know, 20 years ago maybe when Scott first started. And I went to visit him and I said, so how did you, he's in his personal studio, how did you learn to do this and everything? He said, you know, there's a 
uh, an engineer that said he was going to teach me everything. And he brought me in the studio, and he said, okay, do this. And then he went in the back, and he talked on the phone for three hours. And then at the end, he said, okay, that's good. (laughs) And he said, that's what I learned, that people are going to talk on the phone no matter what, and producers, directors, whatever. So, you know, they're always on the phone. Somebody's always on the phone. Yeah. They always were, and they probably always will be. (laughs) I just think, you know what? Limit your distractions, and it'll make you just... Able to pick stuff up, pick up small little things. The, here's the thing. There's so many kids coming out now from these recording schools, and we preach this all the time on the podcast. You know, it's just every, every, you know, what is it, six months there's a semester or, you know, quarters or whatever, you know, full sale and all the universities, they're just, they're just pumping them out. They're just pumping them out. So there really is a fine line to separate all these guys, and you want to stand out. I mean, just think of... Summertime in LA where you get inundated by all these people looking for the intern jobs and all these people looking for the, the PA gigs and things like that is, there's a, there's a lot of you guys out there and, um, it, it, you just gotta always keep your act up. Just, just, just oh, crank it up a yeah. bit, you know? My intern at Disney, I never see him on his phone. I never see him on his phone. I sit in other meetings where there are other, you know, kids that are 20, 21 years old, they're sitting in a meeting, sitting there texting and tweeting and doing all of that stuff. And, you know, they don't work for me, which is a good thing right. because they wouldn't be working for me after that. But it's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Don't you want to learn something? I mean, isn't there some reason for <laughs> uh, just Rob you, is Rob. tweeting away? By the way, speaking of, my 10 year old is in the control room. Julian. Are you still playing with the iPad or have you turned that bloody thing off and started reading like I asked you to? <laughs> uh, real quick, there is a story, a group who I won't say, very famous jazz group and a very, very famous producer. They hired him to do the record. I'll tell you guys after the tape isn't rolling through. But actually, he was on the phone constantly. They sued him after... The record was done, sued him, and actually got back twenty grand. Wow! They, he had to pay them back. Yeah, twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's off crazy. the production fee, and it was a thirty-day project. Wow! So you can imagine. Wow. that was a hefty sum. Yeah, that's a pretty good chunk. Anyway, well, anyhow, yeah. So just to you know, just just be aware of where you're at. I mean, enjoy the surroundings too, right? Don't I tell you that? I, you got to live in the moment. You're here. You're 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 going to live in the moment. If you're if you're an internship or wherever you're at, just live in the moment. You can always, you know tweet about it later anyhow but chris you did a great job though i will tell you and you've got a good uh, a good road ahead of you so i'll tell you what she was really good at and this is true is i explained certain things to her once like for instance editing she she bought her own pro tool system mastered the edit which is really i mean that's half your battle right there just making sure you don't get any clicks and pops and then uh, was just really receptive to, to learning things you know where you only have to explain it once and then just go ahead and go so that was really good oh, thank you. i had you know a couple weeks of <laughs> i'm just gonna let christy do it <laughs> <laughs> while well, he sat in the back talking on the phone that's right yeah. that was on the internet baby <laughs> I was surfing those camera sites. Anyhow. All right. Hey, before we wrap it up, um, 
Dennis, are you uh, you working on anything? You going to be going on the road, doing anything fun and exciting? Yes, actually, I have. Well, I'm not, I'm trying not to go on the road so much, but uh, this year. But I do have a gig in southern Turkey at the end of August, so that's always fun. It's 110 and about 200 percent humidity then, so. It'll be fun. We'll go to Istanbul and then down to the coast in Antalya. Is it an outdoor gig? Outdoor gig, <sighs> setting up in the sun. It's it's brutal, but it's it, it cools down to around ninety five by showtime. I've done an outdoor gig in, in <laughs> Turkey a, before, and it was brutal. Yeah, it's. Brutal. I know what that's like, but it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And then Australia in November, and then Stern and. Uh, Mike Stern, Dennis Chambers, and Randy Brecker on the West Coast here at L.A. and San Francisco in December. Wow. Three days each That's city. cool. So look for that. Istanbul has great food. It yes. surprised me. Yes, I was, it does. Nick, how are you? I've been, well, I've been uh, working on Reaper quite a bit over the last <laughs> week. So it must be great. It must be great. Um, actually, speaking of tools, uh, I have to say I've uh, switched over from Logic to Cubase, and I've been wow. doing a lot of work in it, and oh, my God, do I love Cubase. Wow. Rob, I love Cubase. Cubase is really, really good. <laughs> so as you guys start talking about Nuendo, I start getting more and more excited about trying to see what the differences are and understand how they work. But uh, that's been, it's been great. I really I like that. I've been in new tool learning mode lately. That's cool. <laughs> nice. Nice. Rob, how about yourself? What cool things are you uh, doing? What am I up to? Well, I am in Austin right now uh, working on some new music with The Misses, and that's all going really well. And our uh, first radio single, You Told Me, is still in the mid-20s on the Billboard chart, so that's exciting. And we'll be releasing the next single uh, in the next few weeks, and then we're here working on a bunch of material that will come out after that and everything's going really great and i will be recording live drums here and as always there will be uh at least in my world no bottom snare mic <laughs> in all the years with stevie wonder i never once saw a bottom snare mic uh and we uh i mean you know i learned from gary o his engineer forever who i've been business partners with forever but um very rare occasions we might use a bottom mic if it was a really deep drum or some sort of abnormal kind of drum but it's just never been anything we've needed. And when I've been handed projects that use the bottom snare mic, I usually haven't used it. Um, just it's not what you're used to hearing in a snare drum most of the time. Right. Awesome. And where was this knowledge when we were talking about snare mics earlier before? So what do you mean? Well, you're, you're like you're all perky now. I was staring at you during the whole drum talk. He was and I, posting. And I, he's tweeting. I thought you were not enough. He was tweeting about uh, internet kitties. I was listening and I everything. No, I, I learned a lot tonight. But uh, yeah, as far as the snare drum mic, I'm sorry I didn't chime in there, but I'm a huge believer. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, you're going to be, uh, well, maybe in the next podcast, maybe you'll be joining us in person, live. We'll see. I would like to. Well, we had pushed this podcast if it had been... Last week, as planned, I would have been there, and uh, I'm on a bit of a whirlwind now because there's a lot happening with the misses now. Um, the new video is doing really great. It's starting to show up in retail stores, you know, on the video pools everywhere, and the band is really getting a lot of attention. So I had to come here because there's a hunger for new music, and we have we have a bunch written, but that wasn't recorded. So now all of a sudden, it's a big panic to get a bunch of stuff done, and it's going really well. Well, that's great. Brandon, how about yourself? Yes, uh, my music library, Synchronix, is about to release The Sound of Fear, our new uh, horror music collection, mm. just in time for those uh, horror trailers, which we'll be working on soon to come out in September, October. 
Um, and then my default statement, I'm working on a couple superhero movies I can't talk about. So. <laughs> nice. That's default for the next 10 years. I know. I know. <laughs> but they're really big. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Bobby, how about yourself? I had a very nice surprise last week. I found out that an album that I produced and mixed almost two years ago debuted at number six on the Billboard wow. Blues Charts. Wow. Yeah. What album was that? It was uh, Adriana Marie and her Blues Cutters. Wow. So, and uh, it's Double Crossing Blues, the name of the album. And all of a sudden, it hit the charts, entered the charts at number six. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That is cool. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Any, uh, any, well, I know you're working on a second edition of the, of the drum book. Right? Yeah, and, and some second, third, fourth edition on some other books. And uh, <laughs> I'm also working on a new coaching course, which is going to be on music publishing. And it's with a couple of very famous music publishers that have catalogs from, that represent artists like Tom Petty in Chicago and Jimi Hendrix Estate and stuff like that. Wow. So it, this is going to be really good, as well as another one um, on programming. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff coming up. You know, there's so much I wanted to talk to you about on this podcast. I'm going to have to save it till the next podcast. I'm looking at my notes of, of everything I wanted to talk about, and I got like the first two lines, but I got a couple other things. Um, but one of them has to do with what we were talking about, radio. And oh, radio. yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be good. I'll, I'll know more next time. And then the other is, uh, well, you know, Martin's new album dropped, right? Oh, he did? Just, he dropped his new album. It was really good, and it's it's gotten some really good um, um, uh, reviews, and it was, you know, in the top ten on uh, CD Baby, and it's doing really well. Um, he dropped his album the day before um, Apple Music went live. And I'm just wondering, I wonder how that's going to impact his sales and how much streaming is he going to have to do to make up for, for that. So there's some things that I just I don't know how to make sense of it. So we'll have to talk the next time. Okay. And what have you been working on besides the horrible project? Oh, that I, I'm right in the middle. I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm tracking tomorrow, and that's all I can say really. Yeah, that's all I can say. <laughs> I finished all the animation stuff, which was really good. It was really fun. That was like, we did in two years, 87 episodes. So it was a lot that's of work. animation domination for exactly, Fox. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the last four months was nothing. But I think we did like 30 episodes in four months or something like that. It was just the And, and the shows were what, X-Cop and... X-Cop, uh, Stone Quackers, Golan. Um, oh, you do Golan too? Yeah, yeah. Golan the Insatiable. Um, Lucas Brothers. Lucas Brothers. Did I miss anything? That's it. High School USA. Hi, yeah, well, yeah, we can... <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, so it's... Right now, you know, your summer, we're working on small projects and we're going to be doing some more stuff coming up uh, in the fall. All right. Well, hey, listen, I, uh, first of all, I want to thank Delbert for uh, mining the controls over in the uh, control room over there. Thank you, Delbert. And um, if you guys have any comments or questions, and um, we had a, uh, a request. We're going to have to push it to next, the next one from uh, uh, Steve. Steve Cherubino. Yeah, Steve yeah. Cherubino. And Steve, I got your message, and we're going to talk about that on the next podcast. But if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. For myself and all the guys, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you.
listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.